This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan on the web at www.goodgrowthplan.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell next. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is about the biggest challenge facing humanity, feeding a growing population. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is about six commitments to make crops more efficient, rescue more farmland, help biodiversity flourish, reach and empower smallholders, help people stay safe, and to look after every worker throughout the entire supply chain network. One Planet, Six Commitments. Learn more at www.goodgrowthplan.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. There's a long agenda ahead for the new 115th Congress and the Trump administration. A failed attempt last week in the House with the American Health Care Act was a setback for GOP leaders and the White House. U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said in a statement, Obamacare is failing the American people, and I deeply appreciate the efforts of the Speaker and the President to keep our promise to repeal and replace it. I share their disappointment that this effort came up short. When discussing the debate over health care last week, McConnell said he's not the only one who sees flaws in Obamacare. Well, let me quote Bill Clinton, who said last year during the campaign, Obamacare was the craziest thing in the world. Bill Clinton on Obamacare in the middle of the campaign. Higher premiums, higher co-payments, higher deductibles, chaos in the private health insurance market. Uh, the status quo is not sustainable. Even if Hillary Clinton had been elected and Chuck Schumer were the majority leader of the Senate, we'd be revisiting Obamacare. So we believe we can do better. So when we think of the GOP plan, how does it differ from Obamacare? How does it, how does it improve the situation of health care well, in the country? It, it repeals all of the taxes on medical devices, insurance premiums, all the things that you know, drove the cost up. It uh, actually ends up reducing the deficit. The one area of criticism that's been leveled against it is actually understandable. We get rid of the individual mandate, which means that the government is not going to any longer make you buy a policy you don't need or want. And so the Congressional Budget Office is predicting that fewer people, once they are not made by the government to buy a policy they don't need or want, will buy it. So uh, I do think that uh, it's likely when the government says you don't have to do something that fewer people will do it. What we do think is we can create a competitive insurance market that actually makes products that people want and can afford rather than having the government in Washington dictate exactly what you're going to sell to people, have a competitive marketplace in which that's determined by the need and the desire to have a product that you think works for your family that you can afford. So we entrust, you know, we, we believe the private market can do this job just as well. When we think of farmers, of small business persons, of entrepreneurs, they mention the thousands of dollars they're paying to have coverage and then the huge deductibles on top right. of that. This is an issue. Yeah, that's what I meant. The government making you buy something you don't need or want. <laughs> and uh, 
<clears throat> frequently people who are now having to pay for insurance have insurance that's worthless because they can't afford the deductibles and co-payments. So look, we think we can do better. Is this going to get every single American insured? Probably not, but the current system isn't either. There are 25 million uninsured still under the current systems. So we believe we can do better. It's been an obligation that we have the American people. It was a big issue in 2010, 2012, 2014, 2016. We've been talking about this for 10 years. Uh, the American people have now given us a president who will sign legislation that we pass, and we're about, uh, you know, we're about doing that, putting something on his desk that we think will be better. Trade is an issue uh, for this president. Trade is an issue certainly for agriculture. There is no denying a half a trillion dollar trade deficit for 2016. There is no denying how much U.S. agriculture is dependent upon foreign markets. What is the political will of our Congress and the sensitivity to work on that trade balance, but also not to sacrifice the surplus that we have in agriculture trade? Well, if you if you add up all of the current free trade agreements that we have currently, we have a trade surplus. If you add up all of the current free trade agreements that we have with various countries around the world, we have a trade surplus, which means they're buying more of our stuff than we're buying of theirs. That's certainly true in agriculture. The trade issue, I think, was given the fact that Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and Bernie Sanders were all running against trade. The environment for trade is not very good now because a lot of American people think it's a loser when, in fact, it tends to be a winner. Um, but we passed, and I worked with President Obama against Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi to give him trade promotion authority. For your listeners, what that means is this president, just like the last one, if he chooses to, can enter into trade agreements and send them up to us for an up or down vote, meaning without amendment, without change. The president will have to decide whether he wants, whether he can do better deals. He's talked about doing better deals. Whether it's better to do bilaterals just with one country. For example, he's suggested the possibility of a bilateral trade agreement with the UK. Uh, but it's, the ball's in his court. Trade will be initiated by the administration, if at all. And all we do is react to it under trade promotion authority. With regard to Mexico and Canada, we anticipate the administration may send you a notification that they want to renegotiate NAFTA. From your perspective, from your home state, what is to be gained or what is to be lost by renegotiating a 20-plus year deal? Well, I think NAFTA has been good for Kentucky. Um, but if the president can negotiate a better deal, I don't know why we wouldn't uh, like that. Regulatory reform is one that agriculture called for mightily under the Obama administration, and now by executive order and by intent, it appears that this administration is out for regulatory reform. Do you echo those? Absolutely. One, the single biggest reason the country never established the kind of growth rate after the Depression and recession in 08 uh, was because of overregulation. Yeah, you have seen it across the board in healthcare and financial services. EPA, which had a huge impact on agriculture, think of waters of the United States, making every puddle in America subject to federal regulation. That's over. That's stopped. And we're also using the Congressional Review Act to look at regulations Obama issued since last May that have been coming up in the House and Senate where we can vote to repeal them. Uh, I think we've already done eight or so. We're going to do more. They go to President for signature and they're gone. 
So we're serious, along with the administration, in dealing with the regulatory rampage that was going on over the last eight years. What are your thoughts on a Trump EPA uh, led by Scott Pruitt? I like it. Yeah, Scott Pruitt from Lexington, Kentucky, whose mother still lives there, uh, is a sensible guy who's you know going to try to protect uh, air and water and the public without grinding our economy to a halt. Uh, in so many ways, uh, they've done that. Uh, and the most conspicuous example of that in Kentucky, of course, is what they did to the coal industry. Is the war on coal over? Yeah, it's over. But they did a lot of damage, you know, a lot of damage. I think the electricity supplied by coal, at the beginning of the Obama administration, roughly 50% of the country's electricity came from coal, and it's down to 30 now, 20% drop in just eight years. They've done a lot of damage. Uh, whether that can all come back remains to be seen, but at least the war is over. When we think of regulatory reform, I understand that the administration will take action. I question, will the Congress take action to withdraw waters of the U.S.? But if there is a, a movement to replace waters of the U.S., what's the process? Will Congress be involved? Will that be Trump administration only? I don't think we need to be involved. I think the Trump administration stopped it. It was already stopped in the courts, and I think they've taken further steps to stop it. We're only involved on regulations that were issued by Obama, and there's a time limit on those. We can deal with them if they were issued after May of 2016. So there's a finite number of Obama regulations that we deal with congressionally. But we're working with the White House. Some of the things they can do on their own, some of these things require our action we're coordinating it because we all agree the regulatory rampage needs to stop. And so we're addressing that both in the executive branch and in Congress. And the courts have stopped some of them. Obama has stopped several times in the courts. Mm-hmm. So then you go back to the phrase that is said, be careful what you ask for in Washington, because agriculture actually said we'd like a clear definition of navigable waters. We'd, we'd like some clarity. And it was said that the WOTUS law was anything but clear. So now under a Pruitt-led Trump EPA, is there an effort to write some cleaner regs that clear up the confusion? Yeah, I mean, because if a puddle, an occasional puddle on your farm is navigable water, somebody can't read English. All right, let's move ahead with regard to infrastructure. The president says he'd like to spend a trillion dollars on infrastructure. What are your thoughts for, for infrastructure and how that money should be spent? Well, number one, it needs to be paid for, credibly paid for. We have now have a $21 trillion national debt, and we're still running annual deficits. So I don't think the Congress is going to take up and pass anything that looks like the Barack Obama stimulus package. You remember the $900 billion went out and borrowed money, borrowed all that money, and nobody could ever find anything that happened as a result of it. So um, it has to be credibly paid for. And um, if it is, then I think, you know, there's a lot of interest in infrastructure on both sides, on both the Democratic and Republican sides. But I want to see what the administration is going to recommend first before reacting to it. What do you make of the administration's budget that they offered a few days ago? Well, (laughs) Every, every administration's budget ends up going nowhere. It doesn't make any difference whether it's a Republican president or a Democrat president. So, you know, it's advice, 
that the president gives the Congress. But in the end, we decide how to spend the money. I do agree that we need to spend more on defense. Uh, I don't agree that we need to gut the State Department, and I don't agree that we need to gut NIH. But so we'll have differences of opinion as we work our way through it. But I can't remember a single president, Democrat or Republican, whose budget um, in the end was how we allocated resources. Very early in the 115th Congress and very early in the Trump administration, you have some budget issues coming up, the continuing resolution for the balance of the fiscal year, the process for the next fiscal year. How do you see the timeline of issues? Well, it's just going to be a lot of negotiation. The appropriations process has been balled up for years. And uh, in April, we have to revisit how we're going to allocate funds for the rest of this current fiscal year, which ends September 30th, not to mention get ready for next year. And I hope um, the Democrats will be involved in that because that will be a situation that cannot be handled by 51 alone. I've got 52 members. Democrats will have to be involved in it, and we'll negotiate our way out of the uh, differences that we have. Agriculture, industry groups, and <laughs> others are looking for tax reform, corporate tax reform. Is that on the docket for 17? It's not just corporate tax reform. The, the, most farmers are not corporations. They're pass-throughs, individuals that pay taxes like an individual. And the taxes on individual businesses, businesses that pay taxes as individuals, are even higher than they are on corporations. The goal of tax reform is to get the rates down to make America more competitive. Among the things that are particularly sensitive to agriculture are things like Section 179 expensing and the death tax. Um, I am responsible more than anyone else for making permanent Section 179 when Barack Obama was still president. I also uh, orchestrated the $5 million per person exemption, permanent law index to inflation on the estate tax. I'd love to have a higher exemption. I'd love to get rid of the death tax altogether. All of those will be dealt with in the context, the overall context, of comprehensive uh, uh, tax reform, which we need to do for our country because our current tax code makes us uncompetitive. Last question on policy. Is immigration reform to be addressed in this 115th? Yeah, well, I think that's up to the president. Um, whether or not, given all the talk about immigration last year, whether he wants to recommend something. Uh, would Congress take it up on its own without the president? I think no. But if he decides he wants us to tackle uh, various parts of immigration reform, I think we'd be happy to, to do it. I'd still like to see the H-2A program that so many farmers depend on uh, streamlined and made more effective. The Obama administration didn't like the program, made it hard. Uh, obviously, they never had the problem of getting their crops in when you can't find Americans to do, to do the work. Senator McConnell, thank you for your time and for joining us here on Open Mic. You have the last word. I'm glad to see you again, and we'll look forward to writing a good farm bill next year. Our thanks to U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan on the web at www.goodgrowthplan.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Allen.